Good morning, children of God. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Sons of our Savior. Is it plugged in? Got it. All right. <laughs> Just turn it on, man. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Heavenly Father, we once again, gosh, what what a grace to have a God who communicates to us in our own words, in our own language, um, your good news and your your good word. Pray, God, that you would um, bless us to uh, not hear, not just hear, not just understand, but submit to your good word, trusting that it is good because it's your word. Today's passage is difficult, Lord, and we ask that you would uh, give us the grace to understand and to, um, and to be a blessing, a witness to you as your humble servant. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we are in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and I meant to mark, I've got, I've got a couple things I need to uh, mark. I've got to, I'm going to have to leave a little early because it's Confirmation Sunday, so... Uh, you're not letting me, sorry. You're not letting me. Well, uh, you might because uh, today's teaching is about uh, marriage and divorce, and y'all might run me out. So, uh, just going to tell you what it says. So uh, we have not uh, met here since August. Uh, with with this, we had we had the one cop, and then we had uh, and I was away running through the mountains. Actually, I was uh, last Sunday. I was driving home uh, from running through the mountains. But um, but that was that was a great way to spend a weekend. You know, suffering is physical suffering is good for the soul. Uh, and uh, and you laugh, but I mean it. Um, so now we're we're back. We're on part uh, week five of part nine. So that this is discipleship as death and resurrection. Discipleship as death and resurrection. What we've said all along is that uh, once Peter makes his confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Uh, everything heads towards uh, Jerusalem or towards the cross. But as you may remember, verse uh, chapter seventeen and eighteen. They're just preparing to head to Jerusalem. Now, we actually get the journey to begin. The journey, journey finally begins uh, as we move towards Jerusalem. So we kind of get a new little uh, piece of this, uh, a new little um, so, so subsection, subchapter. Uh, some people, when they, some scholars, when they're dividing up Matthew into different uh, sections or pericopes, then they will uh, they will start here as, as a new section because they're headed uh, physically towards Jerusalem, and uh, just the first two verses. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, this is if you remember, he's talking about the parable of the unforgiving servant. And a lot of forgiveness talk in the last little sections. Uh, when he had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea by the Jordan or beyond the Jordan, and and so. He's using the term Judea sort of loosely. Judea was a region to the west of the, uh, of the Jordan, not the east. And this is beyond the Jordan. This would be to the east. And so it's just sort of that area sort of that's parallel to Judea. It's, it's uh, modern-day uh, modern, uh, Jordan, right, uh, on, the, on the other side of the Jordan River. 
And large, they, they weren't so they there weren't any barbed wire fences back then. So um, so they large crowds followed him across the river, and he healed them there. So this is just sort of a formulaic way to say that we we got an, a, another movement uh, in in the uh, in the narrative. Did you raise your hand? No. Okay. Um, so, but now he's he, in, in the other times, and especially I think in. Um, in, in the book of John, but we see J- Jesus go through Samaria, which is on the western side uh, of, the, of the Jordan River, and he's not doing that this time. And I think that um, it's not because he doesn't love the Samaritans. I mean, they don't always love him. But, um, but in fact, he's going to the temple, and he wouldn't be allowed into the temple had he just come through Samaria. So that's, that's why I think that he is, is not. But now, so, the, so the, we're moving now. And, and now we come to a passage, it's interesting, we get an a, a interaction uh, as the large crowds follow him. There's Pharisees, you know, hawking over and looking at every move, and, and, and they ask him a question uh, about divorce. And this is sort of a passage that most preachers would rather just skip over. And if I weren't committed to going through uh, Matthew in, in sort of a, a regular way, um, all the way through, then I might skip over it too. It's, uh, it's, it can be uncomfortable. Uh, because Jesus basically says that divorce is not okay. It's not okay. And worse than divorce is remarriage. And that's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. Because so many people in our culture, and in fact so many people in our own parish, are divorced and remarried. I can remember... When I first got here, I just remember sort of eyeballing it and not, it wasn't because I was looking for it, but I just remember hearing it sort of anecdotally. It seemed to me that maybe 60% of the uh, marriages in our parish were second marriages. Um, that at least one of the members of the, of the marriage had, had been married previously. And I don't know, that's just, again, that's just anecdotally. I'm not, I hadn't taken any polls on that. And, and also, in addition to that, the truth is that so often that's, that marriage is wonderful. Like, we, we kind of learn from our mistakes, and we, and we have this incredible thing going, and it seems like God is pleased with it, and He's blessing it. I mean, we're worshiping the Lord together on, on, in church on Sunday, and, um, and even though it doesn't hold up under the standard that Jesus seems to set in this passage. So what... What's going on? You know, what, what gives? And we gotta, I think we, when we're reading this passage, we've got to take all of it into account uh, because there is God's intent and then there is the human interpretation of that intent and then there is the reality of humans. And we've got messy lives. We've got messy lives. And there's the reality that these humans who have had messy lives now want to honor the Lord. And so what do we do? With all of that, Jesus seems to take a hard line that is in conflict with many of our lives, but he's also the author of grace and love. So as we read this passage, I want to suggest that Jesus is elevating the institution of marriage, number one. He is elevating our commitment to marriage, number two. And he is elevating the fruit of our marriage, number three. Who's elevating the institution, our commitment to it, and the fruit of it. But all along, he is also elevating our uh, awareness 
of our need of his grace. Because ultimately, there is a real sense in which the Bible understands that we are married to him. Or we are committed to him or he, and, and he to us in a, uh, a relationship. And in fact, marriage is designed to reflect our relationship with, with Christ. So, he's elevating these things. He's elevating the institution of marriage, our commitment to it, and the fruit of it. Uh, all along elevating our awareness of, uh, his, of our need for his grace. So I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'm going to work back through it. Starting with verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him. So they're beyond the Jordan in, in, uh, on the east side. He's walking down, walking south. Came up to him and tested him. I mean, so they already know the answer, right? I mean, they, they, know, they know what they think. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read... That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, let man not separate. And they said to him, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to, to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, it seems like they, they, they kind of afterwards maybe take Jesus aside or you know around the campfire later that night or something. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry And he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Alright, so the Pharisees come to him, they test him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? No. Then one, one, one question to ask, why is this teaching here? Like, why, why he's on the way to the cross, is this what we need to be talking about? Right now, why does Matthew include it here? And I, I think that it is because as he's moving to the cross, he's addressing uh, uh, one of the most consuming and important relationships in our lives. It's our marriage. And as you know, whether you have been married to one person or multiple people, or you married to one person but you're not anymore, or whatever your situation is, like marriage is real hard. And it's, the reason for that is because you have two broken people coming together to try to make each other whole. And that's not, that doesn't work real well. And so marriage is really hard, and a lot of times it gets sideways. And so Jesus is teaching it, and it requires death and resurrection. 
Uh, I mean, married, what we're saying when we uh, get married is that we're going to die to ourselves for this person. Uh, I think a lot of times when, and, and I can't speak to any, in, I'll probably just get myself into trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, and, um, many times when we get into uh, marriage, at least one, uh, or when a marriage goes sideways, uh, at least one, but probably both in different ways, uh, have just been selfish in approaching their marriage as consumers. What can I get out of this? Relationship. Well, I'm not getting out anything out of it anymore, or not what I would like to get out of it, and therefore I'm going to leave it and go find what I need from from someone else. That's, I mean, that's certainly a blanket statement. And it's not only the case, but at least one of the people usually is abusing their position within the marriage, and either it is intolerable for the other person, or the other person is also abusing it, and it just breaks apart. Um, and it is I have not been through it but I have watched it and I've walked with people through it and it is just I mean, even if it's the it's, even if it's the right call even if one is just incredibly relieved or both are incredibly relieved it's awful it's so painful and there's a very spiritual reason for that so the it is good, I think, that Jesus is teaching about this before he goes to the cross because it is, it is one of the things that is uh, one of the relationships that is so important to us and it requires our own death, spiritually speaking, on a daily basis. Um, I'm really good at that. Uh, Amy, not so much, but... Um, <laughs> um, we'll talk to her. Wrong. <laughs> They, uh, she is a saint. Yes, I heard that, and you are right. Um, so, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And we would say that, it's like, we would hear that and say, is there any reason for which one is, can, can do, uh, divorce their wives? But actually, the word is every. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for every cause? In other words, uh, the, the culture in which Jesus was... Uh, there was some debate about it, but the prevailing culture was that a man could just, if he, he didn't like the way he, that his wife cooked the stew, he could just divorce her and go find somebody who could cook better stew. Like, there was, there was no, uh, there was, there, it, all he had to do was write it on, like on a napkin, you know, and, and, and hand it to her, and that was it. And there was no shame for him. But she suddenly has no protector She's completely vulnerable in this patriarchal society. And that was like, okay. And the Pharisees uh, were fine with it. Because they saw marriage as a gift from God to men. <laughs> Come on, man. Um, and, um, and, and so when it wasn't, you know, when, when the... When the wife wasn't being a good steward of that gift that she was supposed to be, then he could just go find somebody else. It was uh, there was incredible vulner vulnerability uh, in uh, to women in marriage uh, in that time, and um, and so if they were cast out of the family, then suddenly they had no way to provide for themselves, and often the children had sort of almost legally had to go with dad, and she had no way to protect herself other than finding someone else to just use her in this way. It was, it was, it was um, we would consider it very unjust. And there is one passage, and only one passage, 
in the Old Testament that talks about divorce. And it is the passage to which uh, they are referring in, in verse 7 about the certificate of divorce. It is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to read it, and I want you to see if you think that what it is talking about, what the passage is talking about, and what they're talking about have anything to do with each other. Let's see. It's kind of an obscure little thing. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. It, what's that? In other words, don't remarry the same person. You so you don't get married again to the same person because that marriage has been has 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 been broken, essentially. A lot of times, well, it, it still doesn't work. It, it doesn't work the second time either. You know, a lot of times. So, I mean, we do probably. You might know somebody who was divorced and married the same person again. Did they get married to somebody else in the middle of that? I don't know, man. We live in a crazy world. Um, but the so that's. So Moses is not commanded. There's nowhere in this passage that Moses says, here's how you get a divorce, write her a certificate. It's not a command. He is simply saying, when a man has written his wife a certificate of divorce, he is presuming or assuming that, that it is something that has already happened. And in this case, here's what to do or not to do about it. He's dealing with, he, Moses is dealing with the messy reality uh, of life. And I believe he is trying to avert disaster. Like he is avoiding uh, abuse for the wife. Because she, she's not, not going to go back into another really bad situation. Um, cruelty, murder, perhaps. Um, but... So he's trying to avoid a situation, and he's also trying to preserve, I think, what Jesus is talking about in creation, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. But whereas Moses is trying to prevent cruelty, the sinners that are humans took that permission to have divorce, and they ran with it the other direction. And divorce was easier to get then than it is even now uh, for us. And like I said, marriage was viewed as being for the satisfaction and the ease of men. There was uh, for sexual satisfaction, for ease in the home, and somebody to cook for them, etc. And if they didn't like the woman, they could just turn her out and get a new one. Um, and, and so Jesus is elevating the institution of marriage by reframing it for them. So that, remember that he doesn't say, well, yes, it is, there is a situation in which he doesn't say that. He he. Rather than giving them an answer to their question, he reframes what marriage is 
according to creation. According to creation. Oh my gosh, how did it start at 951? Oh my word. All right. He says, like on verse 3. Okay. Um, Have you not read that he who uh, created them from the beginning made them male and female? So he's, he's, he's saying it's not an institution of pleasure or convenience for one gender. It is the institution that was given to you before sin came into the world. It is God's design. It is meant to honor and reflect the very nature of God. That's what marriage is for. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what God has joined together, let man not separate. Let no man put asunder is the way that we uh, sort of know that. He says, from the beginning. Remember, in the beginning, God said, let us, so there's a plurality to God. Let us make man or humanity in our image. So male and female, plurality, he created them. He, male and female were given to an, a relationship of intimacy that reflects the unity of the triune plurality of God. So they are, and, and when a man and a woman come together, they are just as much one flesh as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one God. There is, uh, the word in Genesis is like welding together, being cemented or glued together. There is this indissoluble relationship. And you know as well as I do that we do everything we can to pull that thing apart. And sometimes both do it, sometimes one does it, and sometimes it is the right thing. But that is an accommodation, and it is a painful one. God, Jesus, I do not think, and I'm, I'm probably moving away from my notes here, but I've got like three minutes left. So, um, Jesus is not saying that no one should ever get divorced. Because there are situations that call for it. And he's certainly not saying that there is no grace to those who have been involved in divorce. He's simply saying that divorce uh, is not part of God's design because God designed this to reflect uh, the nature of God who will never divorce from himself. The Father will never be separate from the Son. The Holy Spirit will never be separate from the, Holy, from the Father and the Son. So, so that's the nature what marriage is intended to reflect. And the reason that, that adultery is sort of the one caveat is because to, when, we, when we are intimate with someone else, we, we tear apart that relationship that we've committed ourselves to. And so, uh, and, and it's destructive. And, um, and can there be grace in it? Of course there can. Does, it, does it, an affair have, have to be the end of a marriage? No. He doesn't say if, you're, if it's um, in the case of adultery, that's the end. He says that's, that is good grounds because you, the marriage is already broken. But, but he's, he is, um, he's not saying that that can't be forgiven. I've got people in my family who are married happily after an affair. And you may have experienced that as well. It's not... 
It's not the same circumstance for everybody. I understand that. But Moses is Moses is giving, uh, sort of presuming that they've already written a certificate of divorce as an accommodation to just human brokenness. And so um, he's elevating uh, the institution of marriage, reframing it in creation, and now he's elevating our commitment to it, saying it's not something we can just throw away if we don't like the soup. It's not some, it's something we have to, and we, and you, I mean, if you've been married, you know, like you've got to, you're cemented together, but you've got to cultivate that cement, right? I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll dry out. And you got, you got to, uh, I don't know how to take that analogy any further, but you got, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know, you, you might know how to, I, uh, anyway, I'm, um, the, uh, but it, it, you have to work on it. I often tell uh, couples that I, I counsel with, either uh, married couples or, but particularly uh, premarital couples. I usually send married couples to a, like a therapist um, <laughs> because I'm not one. I'm not a therapist. Um, I can pray with them, but but for pre-marriage, I'll, I'll tell them that. Um, and I didn't make this up. I heard it from somebody else, but it, I found it to be true. Is that people will tell you that the key to a good marriage is good what communication. communication. That's helpful. But the key to a good marriage is good forgiveness. Hmm. The key to a good marriage is good forgiveness. Because you're not meeting on the 50-yard line. Right? Marriage is 100% both ways. And so, um, it is, it is, it requires our death. And it is part of our discipleship. And so, we are dying for the good of the other. And so, he's elevating our commitment to that. And he has this really strange passage about the eunuchs because the disciples say, well, I mean, and I think probably humorously, like, well, if that's the case, then maybe I shouldn't even get married, which is, you know, there's some wisdom in that, you know, because like, <laughs> like because it's hard. You don't want to go through hard. Don't get married. Don't get married. But it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of that same principle of like, you know, suffering is good for the soul. I mean, it's, it's uh, um, so is running in the dark. So is running in the dark. Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, I just, I just think how much better of a person Amy is now for having suffered for all these years. Um, That's how she became a saint. Yes, how she became a saint. She wouldn't have become a saint without me. That's right. Would have taken Hello, That's Amy. Right. Hello, Amy. Hello, Amy. Hello, yeah. Don't call that. I said that, okay? Um, if it worked for you, then why aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, it's on the internet now. Um, <laughs> 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 so, so, the, so the disciples are like, well, maybe we shouldn't get, just shouldn't get married. And, and, and Jesus, like, doesn't take it as a joke. He takes it really seriously. And he just says, that, like, I understand, like, not everybody's going to get this. Because you people, you sinners, because he's not one, you sinners, you're messy people. And it's hard. And you're going to misuse this thing that is really um, beautiful and given for your good. Just like you misuse everything that's really beautiful and good for your good. So, um, so he says, he talks about eunuchs. And of course, eunuchs were servants. They were males who were castrated so that they could serve royal women. In, in Acts, we read about the Ethiopian eunuch who was a servant to Candace. He was, he was actually like this really erudite scholar and very sophisticated, but he was a servant and he was castrated. 
And, and it's strange, I think, that, that Jesus uses this. That was a very common thing in their culture. He's not endorsing it. He's just saying it's just we're using an image from their culture. And he says that there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. In other words, there are some who are just not going to be, uh, feel the need for that relationship. Uh, there are some who have been made eunuchs by men. Which is, I think, his way of saying that there are some who, uh, I mean, not, he's not referring to the castration. I think, he's, I think is, if he's being metaphorical, he's referring to some who have been damaged and need to stay away from that relationship. And there are some for their own commitments, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. And friends, all of those represent death, a dying to self for the good uh, of the Lord. Because I've talked to so many people who just want that. They don't have that relationship, and they just want that. And I've talked to so many people who have that relationship, and they just want out. You know, like it's just, so it's, it's very hard to be satisfied either way, and, and, and what the only thing that can satisfy us is the peace of the Lord, and then we can take what he has given us. Um, there's, I know much more to say about that. Um, and Father George would, will be here. Um, the, um, <laughs> to field all the questions. But he, I mean, he says, let the one who's able to receive it, receive it. And I just think there's such grace in that. that like, he doesn't draw the line at either you're this way or you're that. You're divorced, and you're out, or you're, I mean, he, he just says, like, it's, this is probably going to take some, a while to digest, like maybe your whole life. And there's always going to be grace. And I, like, I'm willing, to, I mean, I take this, and I'm willing to, and I have many times married people in their, uh, af- after their first marriage, because they have repented of their wrong. I mean, that's, I require that. They have to go to counseling, and they have to uh, own their part and forgive the part that was committed against them so that they don't make the same mistakes twice. And they will. I mean, we, we all will. We all make mistakes. But, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, they, they have a chance to repent, and they have to do that. But I believe that God's grace is upon them, and that's why we see such fruit and wonder and joy in, um, in these relationships. So... Um, I'm going to skip the part about the kids. I just think it's wonderful that he uh, then talks about the fruit of the marriage, uh, which is the children, and he lays hands and blesses the children when they were really just seen as not having much to offer uh, in that culture. And so I'm just going to stop it right there, and you can talk amongst yourselves, and I hope you come back. But um, I I think that um, Jesus is acknowledging that the divorce is, is hard and messy and not his intent and yet a place where he can put his grace. So, amen? Amen. amen. All right. I'm going to run. Uh, <laughs> shaking, yeah, I know. Thank you.